Welcome to The Wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that would be through chapter 29 of Lightbringer by Pierce Brown. Hey there, this is Cross. I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Now, can you go ahead and repeat the way you said Lightbringer? Lightbringer? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, it's that Wyoming in me. <laughs> the good old West. <laughs> the good old West. The good old West. Lightbringer. Lightbringer. Did you want me to talk like this for a while now, Sonny? Absolutely. Okay. Please do. <laughs> PJ, today is our fourth episode where we're going to be talking about chapters 18 through 29 of Pierce Brown's Lightbringer. <laughs> but first, what you drinking? I'm drinking the same thing you are. Yeah? What's that? What's that? Uh, that would be a vodka punch with a lemon twist. It will be. <laughs> <laughs> can't take this seriously <laughs> all right i broke <laughs> out of character <laughs> so we decided to take the opportunity to make a vodka punch with a lemon twist as victra mm -hmm. set to drink over lysander's corpse yes and we're doing that because it's gauche it's gauche it's a large format cocktail and we are Within a couple feet of each other. In person. In person. Yeah. Which is, is pretty great. Which is why I can do silly accents and freak you out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, no, I don't have the distance of being able to turn away <laughs> from my recording and look at the dogs <laughs> right. or something. So, yeah, we, we made this with vodka, pineapple juice, lemon juice, or lime juice, sorry, lime juice, grenadine, orange juice. And ginger ale. Hmm. So I I did not have. Okay. So for, for perfect clarity, <laughs> we just had to retake this entire intro because I uh, did not power on his mic. Power my microphone. So <laughs> that's why I did a funny action <laughs> on Lightbringer. <laughs> so it, it's uh, what, six ounces of vodka, six mm -hmm. ounces of pineapple juice. Why am I why am I blank? Two ounces of lime juice, an ounce and a half of grenadine, and then the ginger ale to top. Mm -hmm. um, Lemon twist to garnish. To garnish each of the glasses, but we've served a bulk of this in my mixing glass. Um, the pineapple juice was sourced from the gas station down the road. They did not have pineapple juice, but they did have pineapple rings. <laughs> In in pineapple juice, so we <laughs> siphoned off the juice. That <laughs> Andrew would hate it. Yeah, more. It just adds to the <laughs> the gauche factor. So that's that's what we've got going for us: gas station pineapple <laughs> vodka punch <laughs> with a lemon twist. <laughs> <laughs> Served as very nice crisp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not cheap glassware, which, I mean, again, perfect for the vodka punch crowd. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Your grandma would have loved this. Mm -hmm. To all of you at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Following that up, I've got a a throwback to my bachelor party. 
mm-hmm. where one of the stops was at Insight, no, Indeed Brewing Company in Minneapolis. More I, different. I, me too. Me too. I thought we were going to Insight truly until we showed up and I was like, oh, wait, nope. Insight, Indeed, they're near each other and similar. Mm-hmm. But Mexican honey, a honey lager. Oh, that's very, very tasty. Yeah. An imperial honey lager, right? Or something like that. It's like 8%. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a strong beer. It is. Yeah. But it is delicious. What are you drinking? More of this cocktail. And then, PJ, what am I drinking? drinking. What beer did you give me? Ectogasm. <laughs> is it ectogasm? Yep. Okay. It's very tasty. Yeah. Ectogasm from Drucker, which is a delicious, delicious IPA. Double IPA? Double IPA. Mm. Or is it a single hazy? Single. Single hazy. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, regardless, delectable up from Fargo, Moorhead, Faria. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Nordak. Nordak. That North Dakota area, don't you know? More. You are. This is just, <laughs> this is the episode of Accents. My. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> We're going to do so much good today. Stop. <laughs> Before we go any further and we, we talk about anything else, PJ, how did you feel about this week's reading? It's a blitz. Mm-hmm. I I thought for sure that you wanted me to stop at 28. Mm-hmm. And I was so mad. <laughs> did not want to. And then 29 was a better stopping point. But it, it's relief at the very least. Yeah. yeah. But with so many chapters, there's so many transitions of perspectives mm-hmm. in Virginia and Lysander. It, it, it feels very cinematic, this section. Mm-hmm. And bouncing back and forth, the different sides of the battle, it, it just felt energizing and fast-paced and awesome yeah it flies and that's why like last week when i was like oh yeah we're gonna read i think i said 10 but obviously it's like 11 or 12 chapters it's like yeah super feasible though i mean oh yeah because they're like four to at most i think a nine page chapter like they're they're very small very whittle whittle your chapters okay with that let's go to chapter 18 oh god <laughs> just kidding go chapter <laughs> <laughs> chapter 18 virginia the returned we open chapter 18 with virginia having landed in Aegea as the votum torp ship has made its landing in the dock as well she sprints to our four commanders who have returned back to the republic successfully after their long stretch of time on the marcher asteroid it's the notes about Screwface again here that i appreciate most as she expresses her admiration for him as an early howler and just kind of like the whole reflection on the group of them i think is lovely outside of kind of a consistent theme is that char his his edges have burned quite a bit like he he went from that plucky pilot now to a hardened veteran that's true i'm really my my big takeaway from this section is I love that Pierce seems to be leaning into building the emotional connections between the original Howlers that mm-hmm. kind of took a backseat throughout the, the first four books for sure. And kind of like you kind of started to see more of that during Dark Age. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I mean, Iron Gold had doses of it when they were in the ship, oh. but not that much. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Doses. Mm-hmm. But um, but just that that embrace and the calculation from Virginia to make sure to hit Screwface last so she can linger 
was very very her <laughs> yeah yeah touching in the strategic way but like not <laughs> not like that's she's doing it to elicit a response but because she f- would then feel inclined to have to do it with everyone else i think is more the yeah 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 mm-hmm. right yeah it's a it's a good it's a feel good moment for them them all to come back but the the ship returns without odysseus at its helm kind of in its own way too but at the very least she's confident it seems that Darrow was alive after Mercury and now is probably alive <laughs> after Venus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, at the very least, it's it's a chain of custody, I guess. It's a timeline. Yeah. Right. It's an idea, a concept. Mercury. Yeah. He's not dead. And Severo's alive as well. Right. Right. Victor, of course, is the one that breaks that news. Her eyes red from tears and sobbing. She tells Virginia that both of their husbands are alive. They turn quickly to the pressing matter of the number of ships that are knocking on the door from the rim and from Earth. With this news, they've got work to do, which is the rest of what we'll cover for most of this week, but mm-hmm. definitely a setup. Yeah, I'm, we talked about how quick these chapters were, but this there's a lot of uh, emotional whiplash yeah. in this section. like. Her excitedly running and then describing the people that she sees as strangers to realizing mm-hmm. that they're her old friends to learning of the the life of her husband and his best friend and Victor's husband and to this. And her ex. Hmm? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To this like news of this impending battle. Mm-hmm. Salt. But to narrow in on that notice of darrow's life i don't know if mm-hmm. just tgr's execution of the line or if it's just that well written and i love the word choice and everything but for whatever reason the line i close my eyes in exultation really mm-hmm. sticks with me before she like yelps as, <laughs> as she's like spun in the air by victor mm-hmm. it's just a great yeah it, it's very emotional it's very touching in a ton of different ways. Right. Right. Yeah. And it is sort of this, like, as we talked about it last week, there are these dreams that have been maintained by these different people. And there is a sort of like almost prayer or religious aspect to like the rising in its own right, you know, call it a cult of personality or whatever way you want to swing it. But it feels like this is also like exaltation and like, because he is kind of this larger than life, figure of whom can survive you know calamity by all means there's a lot of like invincible people in this yeah there's a couple <laughs> there's a few mm-hmm. of, we'll get to apple later don't worry about it <laughs> yes who i was talking about yeah oh really nice okay well with that we'll move into chapter so originally i do want to bring this up I think last week I had said that I wanted to end that week earlier. It was later originally. So originally I ended with this chapter and I was like, oh, the cliffhanger with Lysander is just better. Like mm-hmm. not not cliffhanger necessarily, but like that chanting moment as, a, as an end to a week better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See that? Yeah. But originally page breakdown wise, I had this last week. Okay. To give us a little bit of leniency on this because I was like, oh, it's super short. And then it's like, well, it's super short, so it can go on either week. Like, it's not not a big deal. Right. There's some, you know, behind the curtain <laughs> stuff. All right. With that, chapter 19, Virginia Rising Dirge. 
There it is. We're in the mine in Lycos and Virginia's faint. <laughs> Pekka cut. There it is. We're in the mine in Lycos and Virginia's pace. Pekka cut. There it is. We're in the mine in Lycos and Virginia's face is painted blood red in preparation for the coming onslaught. And we get this intense ritual as Deanna runs through the people that she's lost, hung in these mines as everyone slowly whispers their names. And then they get to Darrow and spirits soar as thousands whisper in unison. She says after the cry stop echoing, my son died that day and returned as our sword. Not that that is not all he is, but he became that so we could be free. There is a wonderful benefit to having an author who is very good at writing speeches. Mm -hmm. And that is that we get so many characters that are great at giving speeches. (laughs) Yes. It's been a chorus for us, but this is... Mm -hmm. No exception. The speeches in this uh, in this series are fucking phenomenal. Um, yeah, yeah. And Deanna's passion is just bleeding through her words. It's amazing. It does give Darrow almost like a Christ-like image. Oh God! In, in a in a way, right there. I I hadn't thought about that until I was just reading it out loud, and I was like, that does that is. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like related Christian allegory there, but if Jesus was also a warlord (laughs) if jesus was alexander the great (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, maybe i'd convert i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right there's so many so many ways to spin that but we're just gonna leave that leave that on the ground (laughs) um but deanna continues and I, i really like some of the quotes that we get here and she says Free to live under the sky, free to dream like Eo, free to own this land or people watered with our blood. Her eyes grow fierce. My son is lost. He will come home, but he is not here today. The enemy is. So today we are not mothers. We are not fathers. We are not brothers or sons. They come to make slaves of us again. So today we are not dreamers. We are not colors. We are swords. We are wrath. We are reapers. And afterwards, they smash the gallows that began this story to smithereens as they're each handed a sliver and their sigils covered in Martian mud. Beautifully chilling. Yeah. It's amazing. This is also where the moment, I, I, I believe this is the moment where Virginia remarks on understanding exactly where Darrow inherited his rage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a great comment. I like that Deanna does not yet know that Darrow's alive. Mm-hmm. I think that makes this message even stronger. I'd be curious how her messaging would change if she did know that, if it would at all. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Hmm. I don't know that it would change it too much. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also why they need like a big swing, a big step to like do something for Mars and for this like to be this sort of moment that they're creating right so i think without that you might not have like this specific smashing and like specifically the call to lycos and like i feel like this is to echo that yeah this is that pilgrimage they were talking about yeah in response to the unknown status of darrow the belief that he's still alive yeah so right and shattering it and everyone takes a sliver right we break for a somber moment that happens here with a punchline about what what they'll drink over Loon's grave as they stand over Ulysses' grave. 
And vodka punch with lemon twist is the choice, of course, which is our drink for the episode. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers with the vodka twist. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. What a what a delightful drink. Lysander would not like it. Yeah. It is gauche. It's kind of pixie. I had in I did not until today, <laughs> talking to you, understand I had a misunderstanding of what gauche meant. Hmm. I was thought of it as like opulent and ostentatious but that doesn't seem to be something that is opulent can be gauche though okay so that's the that's the issue like it can be classless trying to be classy Hmm. like that's that's also gauche gotcha yeah love it gauche here's a category of word is is an actual word wherein i think chugi is not a word necessarily but do you know what chugi is kind of it's kind of like awkward but it's like so, you know, like the signs that say like cringy. Yeah, kind of. But it's like cringe decor. So it's like it's cringe inducing, but you don't like physically cringe. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> if, that, if that tracks. I mean, I I feel like there was another word that we would have used for that. Like, oh, like a year ago. Gauche. <laughs> <laughs> okay. like, like a decade ago, people probably would have said gauche instead of chuggy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Tacky. Yeah, similar. Doogie is also like kind of a specific, like it's referencing specific aesthetics, I think is the one point that I would give it to some degree. But yeah. Okay. Point for specificity. Two points down for inventing a word when others exist to do the thing. (laughs) (laughs) It feels on brand. Yeah. Fair for the English language, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Victor murmurs in in this moment and kind of thinking about it over the grave. She says, you're the bookish one. Was it a man who said hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? The, a lancer brings her her gauntlets. It must have been to imagine something so petty as scorn to be the utmost misery a woman could suffer. What I wonder would make <clears throat> would he make of a mother who has seen her husband sol- sold like meat and her babe nailed to a tree. She dons her gauntlets. Perhaps, wrath, I am thee? They come for our children, Virginia. She turns to me and cups my face with one hand. Do not fear for me. Instead, pity them. She's so fucking hard. <laughs> Don't fuck with Victra. Don't fuck with Victra. Yeah. Um, I, we, we get it straight from Virginia's mouth in this moment. Um, or in this section, at least. Mm-hmm. Talking about the ship <clears throat> that's blossomed between her and Victor and how she used to only be able to see the sharp edges. Um, and now we, we really see this grown friendship and almost sisterhood, almost familial relationship that's grown um, through so many factors that we've documented, but also trauma bonding, trauma bonding, but also <laughs> like raising their kids together. Yeah. And true. Their husbands being, Warlords. <laughs> yeah. And uh, gods of war, effectively. Yeah, very true. So it, it's it's good to see this come to, fru- to fruition and really, like, yeah, be cemented in text how yeah. friends they are now. I would agree. So we end this chapter with a quiet breeze and silence before the war... That's coming on begins to unfold. Oh, the calm before the storm. Eye of the hurricane. 
And here we are. Nah, here we are. You just didn't realize that it was coming this week, did you? I will say your Rampart bit. Oh, I was perfect. Totally yeah. figured it would yeah. come. Yeah. I didn't think it would come in like two chapters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Last book, we had Darrow going through the Ladon. In this book, we have Virginia going through Hell on Phobos. Yeah. Yeah. And both of them are punctuated by... Lysander winning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. With that, let's get into chapter 20, Virginia Nucleus. And bam, we kick it off with more Phobos fun facts, <laughs> which is great, of course, for our little ball of fun. We also pass statues for each of the proponents of the rising, some of which we were mentioned last week as like talking about Quicksilver and like who is the only statue that he, you know, built himself and, you know, whatnot. So it's kind of cool to see those things, even though they were just mentioned recently. Right. But for me, it was like a month ago. Okay. <laughs> Actually, it was a week ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, you're right. It was when we were talking. It was literally, you know, if you talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk about it in the terms of recording these episodes, it was two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Three but, days ago. But it, it's been referenced and talked about a little bit and kind of hinted at. But there are there's some understandably complicated feelings that Virginia has towards EO. And I know she's talked about it more at length in previous books, but those feelings are still lingering. And it's, like I said, it's understandable, but it's interesting to see her still wrestle with that. Yeah. Like she hasn't came to grips with that. And I think maybe that has to do with like where and why Darrow fights, you know, to some degree. As I think about that, right? Like, is he, maybe this is just a question, but like, does she have in the back of her head maybe that he's not fighting? He's like preserving that dream through the fight versus like fighting for the other dream. And I think that is, that is sort of, again, that line between like Darren, the Reaper, like one was preserved, was fighting that way. And the other one was, is maybe doing something else. I, I think it might even be beyond that. It's been sure. that. It, of course it's why, why the people fight, why the people rally around Darrow, despite mm. what he's thinking and what his motivations. Are. Yeah, there's no statues of Virginia. Right. Yeah. Not that I think she's so egotistical that she needs one necessarily, but to not have that same sort of outspoken support. Right. Hmm. It's different. Yeah. It's what the people need. It's what the what the masses need as far as a rallying sub- subject. It's one of their own. One of the one of the meek. Yeah. The downtrodden. Fair. Mm-hmm. That tracks. That makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So we move from there to the impending siege and the view of the different powers that are coming to play. The idea of a strike force from the rim combined with the others feels pretty daunting, but they face a variety in an area of strategic enemies ready to strike back in the form of the warlock's fleet in addition to the other two fleets that are being led by Victra and Niobe. That daunting feeling is kind of one that is dramatic irony for us mm-hmm. and illogical for Virginia. What do you mean? They feel like this shouldn't, like they shouldn't be threatened by this. 
or that at the very least it feels I don't I don't know that they feel like they shouldn't be threatened at all. Like this is an obvious threat. They feel but, like they're um they have the upper hand. They yeah. Right. The rampart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I, I think Virginia's kind of uneasy feeling about it is like she understands the tacticians that they're at war with. True. And understands that if they're making such a blatant charge towards phobos it's because they have something else they've got some tricks up their sleeves which they definitely do and we come to find that out quickly um so she's not wrong for that assumption by any stretch but yeah i mean there there is that for sure right like it does feel wrong especially considering that it's lacking atalantia's fleet fleet in the moment right right there's a lot off Mm mm-hmm and what's going to happen? Yeah, what's going to happen? Where's she going to come in? You think she's going to come in? Take the glory after everybody. Fire my lasers. I'm a fire my lasers. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate the explanation here that we get of the nucleus and the sort of like hive mind that's built out to defend Mars and as this like basically the shield this rampart this wall that's there to prevent anything from happening externally seems like a great thing however in all of my experience ever in any combat game i don't lead from some like small wall that's outside my big fort you know yeah (laughs) no (laughs) It's, it's just a little i mean it's a strategic satellite so i do get that like obviously they would have something there and of course they beefed it up but mm-hmm. one assumes that like a gs command is a lot more robust right right yeah yeah this is important and fortified but yes sec- not the end all be all tertiary yeah i would probably go to argue secondary based on the way that they painted it as long as they can hold this they're fine forever right yeah yeah so. though yeah, there's there's definitely components there. But as far as explaining the nucleus itself goes, it reminds me a lot of the Dragon's Maw. It puts into like context for me. Or it, like it, it lets the puzzle pieces of mm-hmm. the Dragon's Maw slip into place. In my yeah. Mind. Like it, it this description helps me understand what was going on way back in Mo- Morningstar. Morningstar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because that that description is just so loose and out there, not really, not really apparent. Not helpful. <laughs> not helpful by any means. And of course, some of that makes sense because Darrow is trying to like keep the attention focused elsewhere and like not point out that Severo is dead alive mm-hmm. <laughs> and whatnot. So there's a lot of different components kind of rolling around there in the moment. That's true. But still, this does help, I think, kind of flesh out. It's not identical, of course, but it gives you an idea of what that central command might look like with a couple of people around and, right, you know, exactly. what was going on in the moment. So after all of that, after all the fleets have aligned, they wait for the pending attack from these different groups of rim and core ships. Uh, we get a bunch of different names, of course, for these different ships. But in particular, I like the Shardaby uh, uh, or Chardibis. I think it's Shardaby, though. I can't remember Shardabis, Shardabish. Um, not a hundred percent on that one. Let me know in the comments. We're talking specifically about the ship that is helmed by Dido, 
and is a shout out directly to the Odyssey and the giant sea monster that is counted near Scylla. It's not only in the Odyssey, it's also in a bunch of other stories, including Jason and the Argonauts, as well as Theseus's tale. Mm. So Scylla and the Shardibus monster is a frequent occurrence around Scylla. I think it's Cardi B. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's not Cardi. I'm now just imagining the giant sea monster with the vortex mouth as it's described because it's like a whirlpool basically as a fucking Cardi B's face. Yep. And now I'm just I'm making that I'm stuck there forever now. I'm stuck there forever now. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously we know most of the rest of the names. We know like the Deja Thoris, the Pandemonia Mm -hmm. and all of those things. PJ, here's a fun question for you. Do you remember the namesake of the Deja Thoris and where it comes from. I remember we talked about it. Yep. Remember where it's from. Oh, damn. It's from the Conan books. It is the mm. ship of the Princess of Mars. Gotcha. Deja Thoris. Her name is Deja Thoris. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, there's more. Mm-hmm. We get uh, something dragon. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a couple of other yeah. names that aren't like. They're dope. They're, they're sick. Yeah. They're awesome. The yeah, that's now I'm questioning it. Is the Shardibus actually no. yeah, which I think is Dido's ship, which is why I'm like now all of a sudden like, wait a minute, is this Helios's ship that I'm confusing here? Two seconds. Okay, yeah. So Dustmaker is Helios Kakakut. Dustmaker is Helios Alux's ship. The Shadow Dragon is Dido's ship, and Diomedes ship is the Shardibus. Cardi B. Smallest. Yeah, the Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a line where Virginia is looking at someone and she's like, he looks as sallow as like a Duskyovsky protagonist. And uh, I never felt a particular comment aimed more directly and squarely at my jaw than that moment. <laughs> like good, good shit, Beers. It was great. I really liked that. But yeah, all of the ships are great. All of them are named well. And the ensuing battle is a lot. So let's get to that, huh? Yeah, I guess we should. With that, chapter 21, Virginia Petard. You know what a petard is, right? Don't. Okay. I'll ask you about that. Yeah. So hoisting, you know, the, I'm sure you know the term, well, the term. hoisting by our own petard. <laughs> so a, a petard is a spear-like thing that is generally used to like hoist a flag. And so being hoisted by your own petard is kind of like being stuck on the end of your own stick, right? Gotcha. So, yeah. I'm going to just triple check that real quick, but I'm 95% sure. I mean, it it would track with this uh, section. Are you eating crow? So (laughs) my analogy is correct. The definition is wrong. Okay. So the analogy is correct where it's like you're hoisted by your own petard. A petard is a bomb. So, but it's a bomb of your own making. So the idea is, is that like you make a bomb, a small bomb, and it blows up in your face. Okay. Yeah. I swore it was a spear. I think I must have just taken the analogy that I heard once as the definition. But I knew it, this is completely tangential. But I knew from Age of Empires 2 that like petards are the dudes that run into walls and explode. Ah, yeah. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Play Age of Empires again. It's always a good game. <laughs> it's always a good game. But yeah, so lovely. So Anyway, it, it's, a, it's a great little anecdote to kind of like tie in, especially considering the way that this chapter goes, right? So we've got kind of our solid 
position and the ensuing battle that we experience is kind of a weary one where we're trading small blows from side to side as neither really makes significant progress or advancement. Pytha's Lightbringer picks up some stragglers from life rafts that launch from two destroyers that kind of try to plumb the the moon, but they get a little too close, which seems to already prelude us eventually realizing that they're either skeleton crude or otherwise because they accidentally swung too far on a practice run. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's a very conservative war until the rail slugs hit the North Pole and Victra's forces. Her fleet is torn asunder by munitions launched from the twins of South Pacifica. Something in any media talking about like spacefaring uh, civilizations. I've never, I've never had the like click of the amount of metal that they need mm-hmm. until this description of like 10 months months of mercury mercury's <laughs> iron exports mm-hmm. like so much metal <laughs> it's, but it, it's never it's never crossed my mind because we've never dealt with metal shortages in that sort of way before in our lifetime at least yeah not since like world war ii Mm-hmm. Or would it have been World War Two, where we went through like really heavy metal shortages? I think so. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm remembering a story of my grandfather. <laughs> I think he was like nine years old or something, saluting someone that's picking up his bike that he do- he donated his bike to the war effort. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So and they picked it up at his driveway, and he's like standing there saluting them. And he was like nine years old, so that was probably World War Two. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But in our lifetime, in my lifetime, I've never felt anything like that. So it's never crossed my mind. But this makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the other part of that is that it like really validates it. It puts constraints on this that otherwise hadn't really been thought of or felt before. I think in like a big epic series like this, where it's like, especially in science fiction, I think. Where it's like, oh, well, we don't just have unlimited ships and unlimited resources to keep throwing at each other because Star Wars sometimes feels like, oh, well, there's just more troopers. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) There's just an infinite supply of stormtroopers. And, you know, there's there's a lot of those kind of sections. And so the fact that like, oh, we lost the free legions on Mercury matters a lot now. Oh, we lost these ships and they were reclaimed to be launched through the twins at as like a one time attack, basically. And that metal is going to be gone forever and we can't just keep rebuilding it it limits functionally the resources makes the storytelling more interesting yeah 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 helium three as well the fact that it will never be recovered Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah that's just gone it's just gone it's just going to end up in space or it's going to end up as debris that someone flies into and dies or it's going to burn up an atmosphere somewhere or Mm -hmm. maybe collect on a little marcher ball or eventually I don't know, hit the sun. Yeah, right. No, it'd be, it's going the other way. It's going Mercury or Earth to Mars, right? Yeah, Earth yeah. to Mars. So it's going away out of the solar system, away from the sun. Yeah. Yep. Fair. That tracks. But yeah. So, of course, that being the petard, which is their own guns, which they believe that they had scrambled beforehand. Mm-hmm. when Diomedes claimed them and then subsequently the rim clearly was able to rebuild them yeah despite the assurances that neither the rim nor the society would 
be uh, able to do so. Yeah. Nope, they did it better. Yeah. Built them with a bigger clip, <laughs> as Kamek says. Uh, shot them with their own detritus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Turned themselves into debris. Yeah. It's a it's a lot that I that I really appreciate as far as Pierce's writing goes. And throughout most of these scenes, I guess we haven't really mentioned it yet, but Capax's appearance in like lines and fill-ins, we'll talk a lot more a lot later about, but I really like mm-hmm. the way that he kind of is here as like an advisor to Virginia the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's you feel it before he says it, but they're they're no longer like he's no longer just a father figure. He is a peer. Yeah. They they are on level footing. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously still the sovereign. But, but I meant in in their personal relationship. Oh yes, yeah, they they're definitely treated treat each other as peers, and in in some ways, I think that we'll talk about later. I think that he shows that not only is he a peer, but he also really fundamentally understands her. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get there when we get there. I think it's like twenty four, so we're not far away. But they quickly rally to take on the forces as they're most likely to come to try to take Victra's pandemonia in the moment. So they send everyone else up to protect the North Pole, leaving our little moon Phobos to prep as this new potential war front as our little moon prepares for that war. Our little moon, as you're called, yeah. is going to need a hell of a lot more than just justice. Oh, you <laughs> Given what happens. Phobos is not in good shape after this. Phobos is, we're going to need justice for Phobos. We're going to need to become a literal <laughs> vengeance for Phobos. We've evolved. <laughs> oh, man. Tribution for Phobos. Fair. Oh, my God. All right. With that, we go to chapter 22. Lysander, Iron, Death, Gold. I really appreciate here that Lysander acknowledges the difference between himself and Apollonius or other commanders and doesn't aim to ape them as such. He's walking among them and he says, I set a tone of quiet professionalism and stride down the busy corridor with my entourage. Lysander also starts out on initiating Operation Polyphemus, which is revealed to be which, you know, we we get the full reveal of what exactly that is later. But Polyphemus is the name of a Cyclops in the ninth book of the Odyssey of whom is blinded and tricked by Odysseus as he ties himself to the bottom of the sheep to evade his detection because he always checks the top of the sheep, never the bottom. Yeah. Uh, is in this scenario, is Lysander positing himself as Odysseus or as a Cyclops? Oh, he is definitely Odysseus in his own mind. Okay. which is part of why it's funny. And in some ways, I think there is a decent argument to be made that both Darrow and Lysander are stand-ins for Odysseus in their own rights. Believe it. Because Lysander is returning home to reclaim his home, as is Darrow in, in his own way. Like, they're both fighting for their own homes, and they're both lost heroes that were at sea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could have I could have yeah. made arguments for both of them. Like, yeah. Both cyclops and yeah yeah like, yeah but i i think that the just talking about what happens later the ships right are meant to be the underside yeah attack right mm-hmm. the ability to sneak them through and slam them in while ignoring like a real fleet and real casualties it's well planned yeah well executed so far 
Yeah. <sighs> I'm talking about the specifics later because obviously we're still on the ship here, but mm-hmm. yeah. I do I do love the severity and and cold descriptions of him of himself mm-hmm. in this moment. It gives eerie. It's it's very eerie. It gives big Vader Empire vibes. So yeah, like walking among the troops, cape flowing, head down. I know you haven't seen Rogue One, but there's one guy in Rogue One that has like a white cape on that walks in front of the troops in a similar way. And that character in particular reminds me a lot mm-hmm. of Lysander in this moment. That's what I would point to first. Yeah. There's more rage in Vader. Yeah. Right. Like more, more emotion mm-hmm. outwardly. Yeah. The, I absolutely had the same. <laughs> bring up, up exactly yeah. Vader mm-hmm. down the corridors. Yeah. It's very it's it's filled with that certain same sort of enmity in a way. Mm-hmm. So Ajax and Lysander share a wonderful conversation chatting with Roan and what's to happen in the war. Roan shouts to drill as the men begin to p- prepare for their potential launch down the spit tubes and the greys are spitting as they pass the red hell divers, many exiled gammas from Mars. And Lysander sets them in to dig a path, giving them a little speech to set them up to succeed and sort of like begin reclaiming their home yeah in a way even even with that speech even with understanding that this is a very complicated multifaceted issue i have a very hard time understanding the fervor and rationalization and and willingness to fight for the society i can understand doing it out of fear and and being feeling like they need to for like just to not die and not be cold mm-hmm. but they seem energized and more than willing and I, I i know that there's more to it and i know that there's a lot of displacement at the hand of the republic it's it's still upsetting <laughs> that's what i would point to first is, is the displacement i would point to the the assimilation camps and their failure or reds and their failure to protect reds leading gamma to being like the like it's not just the reds the reds are a big one but the grays are, are a big part of this but yeah yeah but they're they're warriors and like breaking line and breaking code you know mm-hmm. i mean the reality is, is it's all the lives that they knew right and like breaking from a system in which you knew and understand what your place your daily everything it's tough to break free of of any sort of cast anything right yeah that's true i want to bring something back up with with the reds he also gives away his cloak to the head talk right which is kind of a big i think a big representative moment but it also feels like a very darrow move at the same time of like this is totally something that darrow would do to like give and encourage yeah that's a a very good point yeah and in the same sort of way as Darrow, he acknowledges that he likely will never see them again, which is something that Darrow thinks about all the time in Dark Age. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Right. Understandably. Right. And not it's not incorrect. It's just it's fascinating that now Lysander has gone from the man of like inaction to a man of action by and large. Like he was definitely a philosopher, king of sorts before or a philosopher at the very least without the experience but now he's got a little bit more of a hardened edge mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he was seen himself Marcus Aurelius, and mm-hmm. he's kind of starting to to make headway towards it. Yeah, he's more of a Brutus, but well, yeah, I'm saying what he thinks. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> But there is a final note between Ajax and Lysander here before they depart for battle. Lysander says, today we show Atalantia we are not her pets. And Ajax replies, you think that's why I'm here? Lysander, I could give two shits about you standing up to Atalantia. She killed your parents. I saw it in her eyes. She orphaned you. That is unforgivable. Family does not do that to each other. So we are family now. You and I. Family sticks together. Come ruin or victory you in hell little brother this is a very interesting quote from ajax because of the complications with him and his father and Mm -hmm. atalantia is blood family to him as well Mm -hmm. like there's it brings into question his definition of family which is i think he defines it he does kind of define it but it is at odds with a lot of the blood familial relations that are core to named goals mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see that sort of i i hope that thread continues and that that sort of plot of family um is is explored more yeah the importance therein mm-hmm. right i totally get that yeah and like it's also just like a great moment from Ajax, like to see this sort of change over the course of Dark Age to now and the way that he's evolved from like pettiness and sort of like competing by and large to, you know. Yeah. And it's it's such a fast change because that was still very evident a couple chapters ago. Yeah. Right. When Lysander lands, basically, mm-hmm. not quite to the same aggressiveness but Mm -hmm. yeah i think he also just didn't have an understanding that he could break free of that right Mm -hmm. again i go back to kind of my tactus comparison with ajax i mean it again very different sides of where he's flipping to and who he's flipping to but feels reminiscent in a lot of ways it does yeah i love the way in particular that this chapter ends as he's in the spit tube and he can't get into the mind's eye in the moment and we experience a lot more of that later ultimately when he falls in this rain but he's sitting there in the moment and he's just thinking, I am iron, I am death, I am gold. And the way that TGR delivers those lines is fucking perfect. It is so good. Yeah. Uh, there's there's one line in Dark Age that rivals it also with Lysander mm-hmm. or specifically with Lysander. And that's when he's talking about it's something along the lines of fire, metal and ice rage through my blood. Mm hmm. Or rage through my veins, whatever, some something to that effect. Yeah, um, that was chilling as well. But this, yeah, in that same vein, for me, there's something very intense about everyone going to war and like getting ready to drop in a rain. Like <laughs> it's it's heavy metal time. <laughs> yeah, you're you're turning on Star Set and you're dropping from the sky. Yeah, <laughs> this is the beginning of some manic internal monologue for Lysander. I think oh, yeah. it mostly gets into the next sections. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is 24 or 25, if I remember correctly. That's where, where that happens. All right, cool. With that, we get into chapter three, Virginia Grim Glory. 
Lysander's charge, sacrificing his fresh ships from the Mercury docks and remnants of the White Fleet, is an astounding success as they continue to fly by, as they're barely piloted in the moment and bound for the surface of Phobos. Virginia, in a moment of purely pressured calculation, drops the shields of Phobos to let the final destroyer through, and unable to answer in the moment, Cadax handles the questions that she's being asked by her entourage of commanders because he understands that choice. The shield, on the whole, has been saved. But with that, there is also a choice that has to be made to have more soldiers march into dangerous radiation and lose their lives to save more lives. Yeah, this is a very cold calculation, but the execution is important. Mm -hmm. It's a move so reminiscent of Darrow (laughs) that it it almost felt like we were in his his head again. Mm -hmm. But like Darrow, as we've just been discussing, him thinking about all of the sacrifices that are done in his name and at his command, this will haunt her. Oh yeah. For sure. And a certain percentage of people will condemn her if, if this gets widely publicized in any way. But I frankly commend the decision. Like, uh, yeah. Amex has a line, I think later. I think, I think it's in these notes. It's yeah, it's pretty quote close to this, but he says, I'll just read now. Um, he boons, get those shields up or go tell your family they will pay because you wouldn't. We are here to do our jobs. War requires monstrous deeds. If you cannot be a monster, then get out of the way. Yeah, we will pay because you wouldn't. Yeah. Is the yeah the importance there. I mean, it's, I like the title of this chapter, Grim mm-hmm. Glory. I, I like that there are differences between the way the Republic operates and the way that the Republic at war operates. Mm -hmm. There, there has to be sacrifice. There has to be utilitarian spending of lives Mm -hmm. for the betterment of, and the existence and the not continuation of, yeah, it, it, it has to happen. And it's not fair to anybody least of all the people that are being sacrificed mm-hmm. but it's not fair to anyone else either it's it's really heavy it's really really heavy yeah it's tough i it's very difficult to parse on top of that i mean the i guess we'll talk about this later when we actually talk about them marching in uh, but there's a small note here where Mustang compliments Pytha as she deftly adjusts to point fresh guns back to the surface of Phobos after the sh- while the shield's down for just that briefest flash of time. I mean, it's not that brief. I guess they have to get people in. It's going to take about 15 minutes to get back up. But it's it's going to take a second. So she quickly adjusts and starts spraying the planet. It's also fun that she doesn't know that it's Pytha, but that we know that it's Pytha. And it's like, oh, this is that pilot. We know that she's more than just like a mid-blue like she was made out to be. Yeah, she's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's actually very good. Really good. Yeah. Um, I also feel like this is ingrained honor and respect that that Virginia grew up with as a gold being prepared to be a peerless guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cavax would probably, if he could hear her, her thoughts in this moment, would be pretty proud of the way that she's complimenting her adversary yeah is immediately respectful of all of them mm-hmm. yeah there's also i i want to bring up that within this we also see the actual move that's being deployed here which is that pulling a play straight out of darrow's playbook we launch the quadrilles embellishing upon that filling it with berserkers and 
oh, what was the term that we talked about? They're golds, but the oh, novus novus homo homo novus. Yeah, yeah. I at at the time assumed yes. it to be like another genetic leap, but actually is a term rooted in ancient history of yeah, like un untitled, yeah, unnamed people looking for glory and honor that would earn them a respected name basically yeah yeah exactly it's an old it was actually something that like seneca wrote about and so a lot of that's pulled from seneca's writings okay when i was doing the little bit of research that i did when we were talking about it earlier so i knew immediately that it wasn't a genus thing and i think the text does a decent job of explaining that but doesn't get into the ancient side of like these are golds of whom have agreed and signed up to follow loon because they can earn a title there versus being older houses with more to lose if they didn't go. Right. Or if they did go with Loon and Apple and yeah, everyone else. Text and understanding yeah. that those descriptions and those explanations make a lot more sense. Yeah. I felt or I, I assumed they were separate yeah. modifiers on the people. Yeah, sure. And we do know that like they have done fresh crops through the Institute too over the course of time. So you know, there could be something there. Like, are they younger, you know, in theory, if we didn't have the other context. So I totally get it. So there, there's this moment, of course, that Cavex booms that we talked about. But moments later, there's a small voice that calls back asking if it's a loon that's out there and makes that decision to go in and do that dive. And it, I mean, I'm sure you thought this, but this is immediately reminiscent of Chernobyl. Like this, my first thought was the people going down that, you know, threw on the rad suits and mm -hmm. that's what's happening. You know that you are at risk and are going to die. I'm going to raise my glass to, to the little ones. The little ones. The tiny little voices. Well, PJ finished his drink for the record, folks. We have to drink in like two seconds for like someone actually taking a drink and he did that. Whoops. Fair enough. <laughs> Do we have someone drinking in a couple of seconds? Yeah. Oh. In the next chapter, the green in the oh. apartment building. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the little one deserved it. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Any notes on the on the little one? Or the thoughts or feelings? It's just it, it's strong. It's appreciated. It's selfless. It's heroic. And the Republic needs them. They need the countless number of people that are willing to do things like this, that we won't know their names. We don't know the name of this person that's talking to us over the comms, but they're. Didn't we literally get her name? Did we? I feel like she asked for the name. Oh, we did. We did. Yeah. We did. You're right. Which is kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind yeah. of my point, but, but I guess I don't think it's counter. I think it's, I mean, like a lot of people won't know that, point. but a lot of people won't know that name, a lot of people know. won't. And there are a lot more people also. Yeah. Marani Lagarde. Right. Anyway, but there, there are a lot of people that will be sacrificing themselves in some yeah. ways throughout yeah. this battle. All the people that got blown up by that destroyer that Virginia let through. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> right there. Right there. Yeah. We'll know none of their names. We'll know none of their names. That's, I guess, not quite the exact same because that's not their action. That's not heroic. Yeah, heroics, right? Like sacrificing themselves, but but it is also a necessary. Yeah, as important. Right. Yeah. Just different. Just different. 
It reminds me of the beginning, the intro of Iron Gold and sort of the the prologue epigraph that we get of the Iron Rain on, I think it's on Mercury. So it's an Iron Rain on Mercury, I think, that he drops and then he comes back and he goes to Venus. Then I think he goes back to Mercury again in Dark Age. Pretty sure that's exactly how that happens. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of rain. It's a lot of rain, man. A lot of death. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So we move into kind of a somber moment that to end this chapter is Kavax hands off Sophocles to Virginia, informing the little fox that she has the beans now and gives a little backpack canister to a legionnaire before departing. <laughs> it's so sad. I put a little crying emoji in our notes, <laughs> this little part, and that specifically because of the quote, Sophocles always knows when Kavax is about to leave. So I such a good boy, such a good boy. But I've got or you've heard them over this podcast. Uh, not this episode. They've been good. But I've got two dogs that probably would know if I'm about to leave them forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wish I could strap a couple giant fucking backpacks on <laughs> <laughs> friends and have them carry them away. Yeah. To safety. Yeah. Would you be willing to carry both of my dogs on your back? I could not carry one of your dogs on my back <laughs> for a significant amount of time. Just enough. I mean, enough to, I guess, walk away and then take it out of the bag. No, it's not that they're heavy. It's that they would try to jump out. Oh, yeah, you would have to trank it. They're squirmy, mother. Yeah, they, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> All right. With that, we get into chapter 24, Lysander Dropshock. I really appreciate the adrenaline that we experience through Lysander's perspective as he fails to engage the mind's eye and falls in another iron rain. Thousands of folks are eliminated by particle beams in an instant. Ships are consumed by flak, and Lysander continues to fly past like a madman on a mission. Also unable to adjust his course, because if he does, he's likely to bounce into someone else and then fuck up the whole thing. You're basically just going down. I understand Iron Reigns. Mm-hmm. Like on a conceptual. <laughs> <laughs> They're fucking insane. They're <laughs> so bonkers. It's. Oh, man. Like, okay. Not, not exactly the same, mm-hmm. but there is a game dedicated to this kind of thing. Halo 3 ODST. Right. The, or- the best Halo game. Drop Shock Troopers. Yeah. Such a fucking good game. But I think you you experience a drop. Mm-hmm. At least, I think just one. I think it's just one. I think it's the one that oh. opens the game. Yep. But um, I think about that. And it goes wrong. It does go wrong. Yeah, it's literally this. It literally goes wrong. They like crash into each other because one of them gets shot and sent off into another one. And like. You see immediately how bad of an idea this is. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't do anything. Get people from the ship to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Effectively without bringing the ship to the ground. Yeah. No. Yeah. Just throw them out. Got it. You spit them. Yeah. Which is better than like old paratroopers, you know? That's true. <laughs> how, I mean, at least there's like war crimes associated with shooting them down. <laughs> Were you allowed to shoot them down? Initially. <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> it, 
fascinating that they like somehow agreed to not shoot paratroopers down at any point mm-hmm. because like that is if <laughs> that feels like an obvious thing <laughs> you just start shooting flak guns i'm sure it is in the geneva convention now but i mean in like world war ii i had to imagine that they were just shooting them out of the sky probably yeah yeah i mean just uh, imagine if you will for just the briefest of moments target <laughs> yeah a massive target giant square area you know that there are bodies coming out of that big thing flying over you saw the cargo cargo thing drop you just start spraying in the area as they fall out of the sky but imagine that you hit one right and one guy eventually is going to get to the ground or get closer to the ground have to pop his chute that other dead guy is going to land in some guy's chute probably i was thinking and fuck it up already ripped their parachute oh yeah there's also that and they're and then moving. and then they just tangle other people yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of problems. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of problems. Um, I was I was thinking about Geneva Convention and like war crimes and yeah. stuff, and how that doesn't apply here when you've got two oh yeah galactic societies aiming to annihilate one another. Yeah, yeah right. There's no there's no you're past every convention of war. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's nothing. Yeah. Stopping one. The only thing that they've it's it's just moral. It's it's morally. What are you willing to do? Which I think is the only thing that stopped Atalantia from releasing a bioweapon on Mercury like we were talking about last week. The only reason is that that would annihilate so much of the Republic. Or sorry, the society that it would be. It's it's yeah. civilians that they could use. Yeah. And and reasonably, you know, and Atalantia doesn't think this way, but taking Lysander's side for just a moment that they are supposed to be shepherding right like that's the purpose of the society they don't want to have to remake everyone right yeah but they could like yeah they could certainly could but yeah he's flying he's not having a good time i kind of enjoy the panic attack not gonna lie yeah i'm pretty cool with that but he does finally land on his drill inverts and notes that it is cleaving its way through apartment complexes. He sees a lot of these that are just kind of melting their fingers through the buildings that we've come to know. We see a particle beam lance a statue of Ragnar as well in half an ice statue, which is just like rip my dude. Uh, yep. <laughs> rip my dude. Again, big are these statues. I think really large. I'm imagining it kind of towering, especially relative to the size of Phobos. Gondor. I think so. I think that's realistic. Yeah, the statues of Gondor. Yeah. Probably about right. Okay. What are the titles of those statues again? I can't remember. I don't remember their names. I should. No, it's not Glorfindel. That's the other guy that they cut from the movie. The one that Eowyn's basically takes the place of Glorfindel, right? He's the guy who actually rides Frodo to the... He's the one that actually saves, and they just took that and put it into Eowyn's character. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Anyway. But he sees a green through her apartment window and he is in the moment consumed. He, he's just in this moment of, I think, like consumed humanity from the adrenaline and everything else. And he is at his lowest, basest version of whatever Lysander is. She's drinking from a whiskey glass and flips in the crux as her building starts to boil and her whole life is consumed in a moment. And all that man manages to eke out in his puny little pathetic ant brain is who's the bug now? as he's so happy and joyous with her, like being consumed in flame in that moment. And I've personally, I've held on to like a lot of like 
appreciation for Lysander as a character, and I still like enjoy Lysander characters. But I'm not gonna lie, this particular moment made Lysander just about irredeemable to me. Like this is the true enmity and hatred that he carries in his heart towards everyone else. And himself though. That's I think What do you mean what do you mean and himself? Because well there's a couple of comments. Yeah. I don't think we mentioned it, but last week yeah. it talks about hating Atalantia almost as much as he hates himself. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't know. I don't think we brought it up. Yeah. But also, this is the like the end of his like train of thought that's bouncing all over the place, thinking of himself as a bug, as insignificant and as squishable. And finally when he lands he's refilled with confidence and the tables have turned and his 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 fate is not being squished like a bug at the bottom of this yeah brain yeah for sure i i yes i understand and yes i agree with you but i i feel like in the greater context of this manic just ping-ponging of his thoughts throughout this section Mm -hmm. it's less about this person specifically and more about him and his his state of mind and being refilled with confidence after successfully finishing the reign. Yeah. So so to to kind of feed into that in some ways and, and not necessarily repudiate entirely, he says, I feel powerful. She is insignificant. I am too hateful from the drop and the death I saw to care if my thoughts might be wicked. The green flashes me the crux and tilts back her whiskey. It's already boiling. She screams. Her plants behind her wither. Her hair singes. Moisture abandons her body and her flesh catches fire as the heat generated by our claw drill rages through her apartment. Frozen by the whiplash of the insect to human again, I watch the woman with detached remove thinking, who's the bug now? Right. And yes, I definitely understand. But at the same time, like what that's saying is that he's holding in those thoughts. And this is who he really is. Like, this is the real him. Mm-hmm. I think it's where where I kind of like, I yes, I agree with you up until that point. But it's when he specifically goes down the path of saying, I, I saw in the death, I saw to care if my thoughts might be wicked. And I think we're we're seeing the real him in this moment. And that sort of enmity that he had towards that woman and the smile that's obviously plastered on his face as he's going through it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I like, I think this is a pretty extreme circumstance and he understands that. Who are you if your thoughts and, and, but he doesn't care if it's a wicked thought or not. That's the thing. Because of what he's going through. That doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it good, of yeah. course, but I don't think that necessarily makes it his true self and his base self. I, I think we're trying to, I think it explicitly makes it his like base identity. It's what he defaulted to. Yes, but people default to horrible things in dire circumstances all the time. That doesn't mean that's who they are at their core. Yeah, I, I think that we've we've seen like Darrow default, for instance, a couple of times and he has killed people, but he's never like dropped down to like insulting someone's humanity as they like boiled underneath him. You know what I mean? True. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like we've we've seen other characters go through similar things and be tortured in similar ways. This is just so starkly different, mm-hmm. especially in reaction that for me, it stands as like an example of Lysander actually doesn't 
fully agree with what he says out loud. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. Yep. And like, that doesn't mean that he's still not going to push against that nerve, but it does mean that there is some fundamental part of him that believes that he is superior Mm -hmm. and not just a shepherd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's a talking point. I think it's, it's a talking point, but also I don't think being a shepherd precludes him from being superior. No, but I think that he uses it as a shield against it. It's true. Yeah. I think I think his point is that their superiority comes with responsibility. Yes. I, I would agree that that is generally what he is what he is saying. Right. But I think that this goes to show that like fuck responsibility if you're gonna flip me the crux, you're a fucking bug and I stomp you out. Yeah. Like in addition to his own whiplash that he's having in the moment of who's the bug now for himself. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. But he is also very clearly referring to that woman. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Also, in a literature sense, the paragraph would have broke if he was referring just to himself. So also true. Yeah. The subject would have changed. I'm curious because of the the scale at which we're talking and mm-hmm. the, the, the distances and the size of the quadrilles and everything. Yeah. And the speed that everything's happening with. I wonder if this is something that actually happened that he ex- like saw or if it's a scenario he saw somebody through the window and he's like having just a flash of a like an imagination of what could be happening because this is so vivid for something happening so fucking fast. I I totally understand that. I think it's real because he does invert and slows like he catches the quadrille, right? And he sees her and she flips the crux. And like that's it's a couple of seconds for sure. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's real. Okay. I can understand it potentially being a fever dream, but I imagine, I think it's in. To like see her take a sip and the whiskey's already boiling and she catches, but like it feels like slow motion. It's not described as slow motion, but it feels like if we were to turn this into an adaptation, we would see this in slow motion because of. Like, even though he's going slower, the scale and the scope and the speed and the size of everything don't quite. Like, I think I think the perspective would change is what would happen. Right. You would be in the apartment building. Like if you're adapting this right, Mm. you'd be in the apartment building with the green. She would have taken out the whiskey already because she can see the destroyers breaking overhead. And then you would see her sitting down at the table for a moment. You would see a quadrille land next to or near. Right. And that one go by a gold invert on it, like catch himself. And then through the window, he would flip up his visor. You would realize that it's like Sander. And then you would see another quadrille going through the apartment building. Gotcha. Like that's how the adaptation would go in my head at the very least. And so with that, that would happen over the course of a couple of seconds as the quadrille goes through. But you would have time to realize what was happening, take a final sip and then flip him off as she boils and screams. Okay. Yep. Like. If anything, I think maybe the order is wrong in the way that the sentences are structured, but I think the image is painted just as clearly. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So I do. This is this is just more of a, a sort of general thought about this entire section. This feels very well written to be adapted. It almost feels like something that is torn from a screenplay because of how bare it is in a lot of places. That's not a problem. It keeps it. It keeps it flowing. It keeps it moving. But 
you can totally see how this it feels like a movie and it does feel spare in moments like this yeah yeah again not a critique it's just what it is yeah. drink to the dead woman yeah the boiled alive the green live green i remember in my kindle did pour some whiskey and put it in the microwave for us oh no oh no <laughs> No, no, no. We're not doing hot whiskey challenge in the middle of this episode. We're not adding that to the plate. Yeah. So I I don't know. Just for me, this was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, man, I've I've pulled a lot of like emotional <laughs> things to like maintain you in my corner of like, yeah, obviously he's a bad guy, but like he's got some redeeming qualities. <laughs> and this is like, man, you're making it hard to point to any redeeming qualities. <laughs> I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. but I'd still pick him over. Atlas. <laughs> I mean, truly fair. <laughs> also, definitely over Atlas. <laughs> like, they, <God. laughs> like there, there are a lot of problems in, in choices here, but but the entourage of Ronan Ajax force Lysander to continue on their violent mission as they land on one of the pyramids, I think on Bastion one, if I remember correctly, as one of them tears through, we see some Draken Yagers in the distance. Ajax says, let's go make peace. And they jump down the breach. I hope they both, they all, like the, the all three entourage, suffer a fate less glorious or significant than Serafina. Mm. Less glorious or significant. <laughs> Just, you know, annihilated in a, in a, one of the beams falling from an iron ring. Like did. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. Fuck him. Fuck him. <laughs> All right, Lysander too, for that matter. Yeah, I hope he just. I mean, I figured he was on the list. <laughs> I, I do. I do appreciate Ajax's turn, of course. And again, we're talking about bad guys, though. <laughs> like, it's an important clarification of like, yes, I'm enjoying this character. Yeah, he's still an awful piece of shit. I feel like he's, he's not a rapist. At what point can we, as far as we're aware, giving these uh, disclaimers or? justifier like clarifiers i don't know never <laughs> probably not probably not 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 for these characters in particular yeah i feel like and this is this is kind of something that i i feel about the series is if we were reading something like if we we're talking about like the first law immediately or we were talking about game of thrones i would have like a very different like people kind of know what they're getting into but the original trilogy versus the sequel trilogy set very different expectations for a reader like it is a a very different approach. So like part of the reason that I feel like I have to be an apologist is because of the first three books and like explain that because of the way that we covered those. Yeah, no, he's not a good guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like got to kind of dance towards it a little bit and be like, here it is. Like we didn't we didn't give that many disclaimers for anything in Greenbone. No, occasionally we we're like still kind of bad people, but yeah, specifically with. A character or two. Yeah. yeah. One per, in particular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, naturally. Yep. But yeah. All right. With that, into chapter 25, Virginia War Prism. Virginia does her best leveraging her resources to handle this invasion on an unanticipated scale. Berserkers, golds, and more pour through breaches and cleave through soldiers intended to stop an invasion of this scale in their tracks. She's got something like 150,000 troops um, allocated to the bastion, split out into a bunch of different sections. And then she's got, you know, 1,500 or 15K of her own Lion Guard or something like that to be divvied out. And yeah, 
Oh, there's a lot. There were a lot of lying cards. <laughs> yeah, there were. Not until not not as much at the end of this. Yeah, there's like 28. Yeah, that cold calculation that we talked about is obviously still here. And mm-hmm. of course, I do appreciate the comparison to like what she's doing to a silver's investment portfolio. Yeah, and minimizing risk, maximizing profit, understanding that there will be casualties and losses, and just doing the best to minimize those yeah yeah just a, a rawness to her decisions mm-hmm. that you know track hard with virginia yeah 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 and that analogy in particular is like that's and that's kind of how the chapter goes on the whole it's very much a, an equation of what sacrifices make sense and what don't like it's very different it's a very different game war game than we're used to yeah but it's at the core like it's more more explicit Mm-hmm. more uh, more calculated i guess but it is exactly the same thing that darrow does right maybe putting well putting it into different terms or being just describing it differently i guess yeah as as they would think about it differently i mean i think that it's not that darrow doesn't think of it in the same sort of terms but i don't think it's necessarily so explicit like he doesn't think about trading in the same kind of way i think in the way that he's approached it But I think in particular, too, I think one of the very great things that Pierce does here is he directly draws a comparison. I forget if it's in this chapter or the next where there's an immediate comparison to Darrow and Virginia is like, what would Darrow do? And then doesn't do that. Right. Specifically in retreats. I think it's in this chapter. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, point being, like, it's it's just a great, great comparison to uh, as far as, like, tactics go. Mm-hmm. If if Dark Age is the Battle of the Ladon, you know, if it's Lysander slash Atalantia versus Darrow, this is Lysander, arguably pretty much just Lysander and Apollonius, maybe, against Virginia. Yeah. So, yeah. Rot. Rot. So there's a violent calm scuffle that we get to overhear from the Republic as we get to see behind the veil of war and understand what is going on in the ground. For the first time in this series, he even there, there's so much that's wonderful in this section. Tim Gerard Reynolds kills it. Fuck yeah. In, on page, it reads pretty, pretty decently. And you can definitely see what what Pierce is doing and how he's training the conversations back and forth, how they're shouting. But fucking Reynolds kills it in this moment. So, so, so well done. Yeah. I mean, there's a great little deal of comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eat my cock, Goldilocks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's good to have a little bit mm-hmm. of laughter. Of war, of war levity that it's like, whoa. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course you'd shout something like that if it's your last. Yeah. Yeah. Make your mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, so good. But yeah, it gives it gives a different portrait to the war that we've never seen before. Right. So I like that. I like that she tuned into that one and we got an understanding of it. We also get a quick update from the battle above and it seems as though the Republic fleet is holding so long as it might be willing to die to allow Phobos to die for them to live. So basically I think Virginia even makes an analogy to an amputation, right? Like you don't, you don't tell someone what they're about to go through on a battlefield amputation because they're going to dissuade you from the idea. So, Mm hmm. He goes through with that. In addition, this is the part in which the siege continues. Apple and Cicero continue to launch ships and troops down. Cavax retreats. 
seemingly from the surface and Virginia thinks for a moment what Darrow would do and decides to do something different to retreat, but that she is going to stay and ensure that this is a success as long as she can. Yeah, that's an interesting difference between the two. And I don't know what to make of it because at a certain point, it is what Darrow would do as well. Maximize survival at a certain point and, and still stay himself. I don't know that he... But I don't think that he would necessarily maximize survival entirely at the trade of not capturing something else. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's she's not entirely going against what Darrow would do, but she is mostly going against what Darrow would do. It's preservation entirely versus Darrow would be a tete-a-tete. It would be a trade. Right. Yeah. And what she she even says exactly what she thinks. Mm -hmm. Keep fighting until everything is lost. Yeah. And that that's her perception to some degree of Darrow. I don't think that's what Darrow would actually do, but yeah. It's not that far off of what well, he would probably it's, it's not that far off of what the Reaper would do. <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she made the right move though. Yeah. Right. Overall. But we get a little bit of hindsight to that. Yeah. I mean, of course. There's there's a little bit here. But after attempting to do all that she can, she gets a call from Kavax's Drakenjager. There's this brief moment of relief as we think that maybe he's okay. But instead, it's Apollonius's face that appears, as I imagine, like hanging upside down in the camera. Like he's like poked in through the top. He's just kind of there. And it's clear that Kavax has been beaten, his back broken, potentially. I thought that that was maybe a metaphor. It turns out that it's maybe literal by the end of the chapter. I think it's probably It's literal. probably literal. That's the only way to stop the man. <laughs> Break his back. Um, That'll even stop him entirely. Yeah, right. Uh, but Apollonius says, War, the mortal hallelujah. Lionheart, I have broken your champion. Now I come for you. Which is also how Tim Gerard Reynolds delivers it, but like notched up 10 points and it's so good. It's it. Fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the history of the repeated attempts to hail Cabex. Mm-hmm. No response, no response, no response. Don't see him on the battlefield. Don't see him in the comms. So that brief. Flash. The, yeah. the, the, the brief idea that he's there and then. The description mm. before revealing who it is, the description of a beautiful man. I'm like, all right, that's not Cavex. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh. Oh. And there's even the hope for a second that it could be Cicero, like just for a moment, <laughs> you know. Wouldn't have been that much better. It would have been different. I mean, as we as, <laughs> as we learn later, you know, he's not out to necessarily kill her. Um Yeah. But We'll talk about that parlay offer. Neither is Apollonius. I don't know. I think Apple might have done it just for funds. For a trophy on the wall. Maybe. Because he's unhinged. Yeah. Can, can you imagine? Imagine, if you will, for just a moment. The Minotaur with Mustangs skull on one of the horns going up to another duel with Darrow. <laughs> like, there's your there's your fucking war cry. That's how you get Darrow out of any hole. Yeah. <laughs> Like he would absolutely collect her skull if he could, but he he would do. Yeah, he has learned his lesson from trying to do live bait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think he would take dead bait at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, 
I also want to bring up there are, are a couple of little things that we get from the nucleus over the course of this, which is inclusive of like the amount of time that she loses managing and micromanaging these groups and backing up to sector, sector eight and sector two and taking all of these retreats. And she begs for another minute. And she had already given her another minute, which was 20 minutes, but it seemed to pass instantly as she's playing this 4X war game in Phobos, which sounds so cool. Give me the defensive Phobos flash game, someone. She talked about every minute saves 10,000 people or something. Or yeah. 10,000. 10,000. 10, yeah. So tens of thousands, I think is what she says. Okay. Yeah. Saved a lot of people yeah. in that time. Yeah. That statistic holds true. Yeah. For that estimate. Right. Yeah. I think, I think she did the right thing by all accounts. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. With that, we go to chapter 26, Virginia Labyrinth. The nucleus drops into its escape shaft and most of its staff are boiled alive without their suits on skin sloughs off of one notable blue, of course, of whom has taken command over the course of this. And we get to learn and meet, but then quickly is disintegrated so fast that I didn't even think it made sense to bring up the name, but Oro, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And most of that command that had been with her in the nucleus, even though she had evacuated, most of it is dead. So most of those essentials have boiled alive effectively outside of the lion guards and holiday of whom is a lion guard, of course. Right. Yeah. Boof. (laughs) It's heavy. The description of Oro's death is a lot. Is Oro the one that was being carried by holiday? Yeah. And then, Uh, yeah. Similar to what happened with Lyria. Can't hold on to anybody. Their skin falls off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Horrifying. It's going to stick with me, I think. These yeah. descriptions of people boiling and melting and falling apart. There, I think it's in Terminator 2 when Sarah Connor has the vision. Have you seen Terminator 2? It doesn't matter if you haven't. Go. Yeah. But I think Sarah Connor has the vision of the nuke going off and like she sees the kids on swing sets get blown apart. And like you see them melt very quickly and there's a woman in a house. And that is like one of my key memories that I have as a child at all that I remember and has haunted me for a very long time. And I think about that a lot. Yeah. And that is exactly what I thought of in this moment. Like just the way that that skin kind of whipped off and sort of melted and became flaky and yeah, we got to do something about that, man. That's- yeah, I can't. I can't. But it's, it's it is whatever. You know, it's- we got to we got to tear that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Many have tried <laughs> over my dead body. <laughs> no, but there, there's a lot here. They the command is dead. Of course, the they attempt to escape as they know that the Minotaur is bound for them. The chapter title being Labyrinth, of course, is just fucking indicative of what we're about to face. And so well done mm-hmm. in in both contexts of the word and the way that this is spun back. Um, the guards will agree that the safety of her is the priority, but that those that who don't attend close will be left behind. But Virginia quickly disregards that and says back to them, we are outnumbered. They will close in from all sides, but they are glory hounds out for themselves. They will compete against one another to get to me. We are not them. We are a pride. We kill together. We work together. We survive together. They came for a hunt, but they forgot. Ick, bunt, neonase. This Virginia lady, is, she should think about like pursuing leadership or something. She's kind of good at that. I don't know. I don't know if you recognize it, but like she's pretty good at this. Yeah, pretty good at rallying yeah. people under stress. Uh-huh. It kind of... It does make you 
think about what would a younger Augustus have been like? Yeah. Like, absolutely. obviously we know that he was brutal in the way that Iona Bologna happened. So there's bits of Adrius all over him, of course. Mm-hmm. Or you can obviously tell where Adrius came from, but I would also love to see the other side of where Virginia came from. I know that she has, I think, a soft story or two about him in Dark Age, if I remember correctly. Or a soft story one that he remembers, I think. Yeah, but... but um yeah there there's some great literature on augustus through uh the sons of Ares. Kind of yes yeah especially in three yeah yeah particularly in three particularly in three i'm excited to record that episode yeah we gotta get there eventually but we're well we just haven't bothered to try to schedule it actually <laughs> it's the reality we're, we're having guests on for that one i just haven't even thought about it because <laughs> right. we've been busy I've been busy. We both after after the wedding weekend, we will be less busy. Yeah. So for a bit. Yeah. For a while. Well. At the very least. But Hicksunt Leones, here they're reliance. Great. Great call out. Hicksunt Leones. I'm yeah. always curious about Continue. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Or at least that's how they describe it early, early, early on. But I'm always curious about things that are holdovers from pre-Republic times and things that are stricken. And Hicksunt Leonis is adopted from her father. And I don't know. I, I don't have feelings for it either way. It's just something I think about. And reasons for adopting and maintaining things and reasons for not. Yeah, that's an interesting point. As far as like keeping and maintaining that because of the legacy that it holds is so interesting, right? As far as like the society goes, why wouldn't you distance yourself from like that house and that legacy? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, being proud of it and like using it as that like champion moniker is, I don't know, complicated. It is complicated. It is very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And that history and the the sigil of the family house Mm -hmm. is inherently tied to the society because of their status within the society but it is not married to it yeah i guess that's true yeah who's to say i mean fuck what are last names at this point if not i mean euro last names at this point if not like emblematic of some surviving legacy that's attached to old systems that like i mean your last name is like horse thieves, right? Or something <laughs> like, is it effectively? We that later. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> the name. I thought that was related to the last name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but like a lot of, a lot of last names are based. Around... <laughs> I, for some reason I was like, Heller must mean that in the other language. The reason why we're in America. Yeah. Right. But Heller's <laughs> already a part of Okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. There is a last name that means horse thief. I know there is, I factually. But anyway, like original like last names in general were given to people by and large by professions and by like things and you know, it was a noted name of sorts. Otherwise, you know, you were of the area of wherever you're from. For the most part, if we're talking European, of course, but yeah. And so And by the way, we weren't horse thieves, we just avoided taxes. <laughs> Which is we were horse smugglers. <laughs> There you go. That's what it was. I was like, yeah. I swear to God, it had something to do with horses. My yeah. my dad's grandfather. Yeah. Um, 
avoided import taxes on horses <laughs> and got chased out of town and fled to America. That's fucking hilarious. I mean, the the story that I've been always told is that my great, 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 great grandfather couldn't get a divorce and so fled <laughs> because the Church of England wouldn't give it to him. That- so he just... He left. <laughs> I mean, that's one way. Locked off. <laughs> that's one way to distance yourself from a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Yep. Yeah. Very funny. Anyway, but yeah. Complicated relationship with Thick Suddenly on Ice. I think that, you know. What's what's very funny is that I was literally looking up the Hicks St. Leone's thing just to double check because I was like, I'm 95% sure that that's right, but whatever. And someone was checking on it because they wanted to get it as a tattoo. And they're like, is what do you think? Is it problematic? Is it not problematic? Is it like there are obvious roots in like a lot of things because obviously Augustus is a bad person, but Virginia is not bad. Like, does that mean Airbnb? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it considered, would it be considered a fascist tattoo? Because like at that point it was kind of a, it was a regime. So I don't, this is a, yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) clarifying that I don't think is the worst thing in the world. But on the other side, I was going to say, I don't, the society isn't fascist. It's a, it's a couple of different systems. You could portray it as fascism there are parts of it that are fascist any any like power structure like that has inherently because fascism isn't fascism isn't just a form of government it's a power structure so like right sure, i guess but it's a lot of other things i think before i would call it fascism which is just a weird note that i had in in response to that thread that i was just reading anyway even with atalantia installed as the dictator it runs fairly like fairly similar to a republic with with checks and balances and different arms of government and like power structures that are not unilateral yeah i mean truthful that's rome was a republic obviously we know these these things and like the dictator was just an elected senator of the peers right Mm -hmm. that's basically that's exactly what this is and what it's intended to be right so but yeah the term dictator is morphed yeah over is a little bit different now than yeah what it was in rome right right yeah it was not it was not a bad thing necessarily with the exception of sulla of whom we talked about last week of whom took it by force and so like he he started to taint the name dictator a little bit yeah so they they're just reclaiming the name dictator <laughs> for those of you at home that couldn't see my grimace and he hear my he looked like he got hit <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't just you can't i don't want to this is an audio medium <laughs> i can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not from your fo- your face expressions over the phone lot what i mean that's also true that's fair that's fair i think people could tell that's fair so they end up running through the tunnels barrels flash lighting their way as they run away from their foes. The votums, of course, have cut power. Many of the lines are lost as they run through the hall, some just randomly disappearing as the Minotaur seems to cut them down and just like legs flying <laughs> in that one moment. There's a there's a jellyfish that has a name randomly <laughs> in the middle of this chapter. 
<laughs> it's a red jellyfish and it reminds her of the blood. I think it's like a night. It's not a nihilist, but it's like a nihil or a night mm-hmm. or a light oh. alienus, alienus, something like that. Anyway, it was a weird name. I didn't I didn't look it up because I didn't. It's a jellyfish. I don't know if it's significant enough to me to consider. I mean, it's probably more important, but there's also we get the briefest view into Arminius's life of whom is one of the reds or Arminius, not red, sorry, gray that is protecting her that wants to go into fashion that like is going to be like a designer. She was going to secretly provide him seed money to to do so. Uh, He didn't know that it was so sweet and I was so excited and he's gone forever. Yeah. Um, Pain. I was listening while walking through the, through Menards I don't know why there are some sections that are explicitly tied to the stores that I was walking through (laughs) while listening to this book, but that it will forever be walking (laughs) with two cans of foam insulation, like foaming insulator. Mice suck. Mm -hmm, True. Walking to the, to the cashier at Menards. Yeah. Let me think of. Arminius. Arminius. Yeah. His, his fledgling fashion career. <laughs> that will never be. That will never be. Shortly thereafter as well, Cicero calls out to the comms in an attempt to get Virginia to surrender, which I think is fascinating on his part to basically pitch this idea of like, now, 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 you don't need to be so severe about it. We can all just calm down and go home and I'll take you back and will treat you like a thing and Lysander wants to preserve the Republic. He think it should be he thinks it should be a legitimate entity and just kind of saying things. <laughs> I'm not sure if any of those are legit or not. I uh, oh. <laughs> I I genuinely part of me is like, would Lysander public a legitimate entity in some way, shape or form? Like could I think some of the smaller power structures, like some of the local government, I'm sure yeah. would um fold into his his regime, yeah. In a certain respect, um, like instead of answering to the sovereign, they would maintain their democratically elected leaders, yeah, on a local level. But those leaders would answer to him instead. Yeah, I can't. I could, I could see it uh, not obliterating and like building everything from the ground up, but co-opting the the smaller sections of the republic i can't help but think that a society period pyramid under lysander would look something like most of the low colors are of equal class and are kind of allowed to fill whatever job or role that they want but the high colors are still maintained separately and held separately i don't know part of me like has that view of a of a lysander society but I think it's still bad ultimately because would, they would still be repressed, obviously. But I don't know. Even as high as like arch governorship, mm-hmm. it's way easier to like, it, think about the, the transition of power. It'd be easy, easier for him to just put the pressure on the arch governors of each planet mm-hmm. instead of trying to... And like having them be his agent mm-hmm. under pretty severe penalty of lots of suffering, I would assume. But then maintaining the structure of that planet as as it's been operating. Sure. Mostly Mars. Yeah. Primarily Mars is what we've been exposed to. But I'm yeah. sure that there are arch governorships on each planet, right? 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I didn't mean that. I meant like Mars is really the only society or republic planets that's left. That's true, though. So. That's a good point. Are the are the outer planets? Those are all rim planets. Yeah, we don't really see a whole lot of like the Uranus rim lords, for instance. Yeah, and Pluto is still just kind of spoken about vaguely. <laughs> There's not a lot of details about Pluto. We do know that Pluto is colonized, but it is not a big deal. And it is Severo did not have a good time on Pluto. No. That's about the extent of what we know about Pluto. I think don't we get I think in Sons of Aries we get a little bit of a touch on Pluto at one point. I think Fitchner gets sent out to a deploy on Pluto as well. I don't remember that. Yeah, I think it's just a flash. I, I don't, it's not like a serious story beat. I think it's he just takes a job when he's freelancing. Okay. Before he eventually freelances for quick. Anyway. Well, we do get reference to Pluto from PAX. I'm at school. I'm Uh, Pluto. Yeah, fair point. Pluto is uh, fucking backwater. (laughs) I mean, it is. If you think about how far away it is from anything. Also, it's very small. Yeah. Pluto is the the Republic's Appalachia. (laughs) Jesus Christ. You just you just attacked the Appalachia. Cut, cut, cut. Pluto is the Republic's uh, Antarctica. Sure, we can take that. All right, we can take that. I was I was just double checking something because I was pretty confident, but I wasn't a hundred percent. Pluto's smaller than the moon. Like Pluto's tiny. Pluto's tiny. Should not have ever been considered a planet. Yeah. Right. It just it only technically is because of the type of orbit that it falls into. Right. And the fact that it is a coincentric, like the the mapping of the moon of what's it called? Titan? No, not Titan. Classified as a planetary body now? Yeah. 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 Not a planet, though. Right. Not a full planet. It probably was a planet or it could have been a planet, which is probably why they classified it as a planetary body. Mm-hmm. It's close. Yeah. The moon, the moon that is with it, that is almost the same size. Forget what it's called. I'll remember at some point in the middle of this podcast. I believe is actually the more inhabitable sphere, but it is a little bit smaller or has like more traces and seems to be more planet-like, but because it orbits Pluto and doesn't orbit the sun, it's not considered a planet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is funny or like a planetary planetary body. Right. That is funny. The chances, chances are good as far as they assume this is so off base and off topic. But chances are good that they assume that it crashed or that Pluto crashed into it and turned it into a sphere or the other way around. And that it was hurtling and then crashed and ruined life on one or the other. With yeah. Moons, like ours. Yeah. Right. Right. Mariana Trench is yeah. very likely the. Or the Gulf. Well, the Gulf is the asteroid. Sorry. That's the predicted location. The Mariana Trench is the impact point of the moon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah. that. That space is yeah. where most of that moon came from yeah 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 i think the asteroid in the gulf Borg. yeah our planet gets hit a lot yeah not recently we're overdue <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they got those space lasers now otherwise we're gonna have to get bruce willis out of retirement mm-hmm. yeah he's he's gonna fuck shit up <laughs> he should not be in charge he should not be in charge it makes me sad. <laughs> anyway, um, they they continue on their run, of course, through the tunnels, blunted by Mjolnir Six, 
of which Virginia chooses not to take, of course, because she thinks that blunting her empathy would be bad. And I would tend to agree with that because can you imagine? She knows exactly what she would do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, okay. Let's dig ourselves into, dig myself into a deeper hole in comparing my Sander things. If she knows exactly what she would do with something that blunted her empathy. Mm-hmm. Does that dig into a core personality trait of her? I, like define who she truly is when you peel back all the layers. I think when you blunt your empathy, you're showing. Hmm. That's where you're digging at. That's like a stimulant. though. That's like artificially cutting it off. But I also think that what she's saying when she blunts her empathy in that moment is just that she knows that she wouldn't care about other people's survival. And right. she she does she does say it at the end, like yeah. she would save herself for the Republic. Right. Yeah. Like understanding her importance in all of this. And right. Feeling more important, feeling superior to everybody else. In, importance in, it's a different level of superiority for sure. But it could still be classified as superiority. Oh, but those are not the same types of superiority whatsoever. Yeah, I think that it is importance versus superiority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you compare our girl to Lysander? So, getting into the specific of the Mjolnir 6, is this a more refined version of Zolodone? Is it something completely different? It feels described to be basically the same thing. Just something that blunts empathy or removes it from the equation. Yeah, I would assume because it's also an, an adrenaline-inducing drug that it's like a combination of things. So okay. part, part of me thinks in my head with Mjolnir 6 is I think Zolodone plus Snake. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, that would yeah. make sense. Yeah, familiar cocktails of things that we played with. Mm-hmm. So, But as a single drug and yeah. probably compact is probably iterated upon. Either iterations or the like total number of drugs that inside of it, <laughs> the compound number. That was exactly my thought. <laughs> the number, the blend of the cocktail. Reach into your pocket, grab six pills, <laughs> matter which ones. <laughs> no, it's a specific combination. Mjolnir 5 is removing the Zolodone. You still feel things, but you're a brick. You're the juggernaut. You'll run through a man and turn him into meat based. <laughs> Just feel really. <laughs> You'll feel bad about it. <laughs> Not good. Not good. Mm-hmm. But they find a trap set by Ap- Apollonius in a hallway a couple of floors below with ghost cloaks and dampeners. A trap set to catch the lions where they are. They walk in knowingly and Apollonius says, found you, before sprinting away and pulling him into a trap of their own design. And by God, what a fight this becomes. Eventually, they tie the big man down and jump on him with a misericord. Apple moves as his helmet is blown asunder, his cheeks torn apart by Holiday's or someone's gun. I don't think it's Holiday. I think it's just a random gray. Yeah. Um, There's a gray that has digging rounds. Yeah. Right. It takes like several. It's like a clip. To just dent it enough. Mm -hmm. And the final one is this digger round that like bores into him. Mm-hmm. Through his helmet into his skull, and blood is pouring yeah, out. out of his cheek. I think. I think it's like through through his face into his mouth and out of his cheek. By the yeah, whatever it is. But yeah, he's yeah. bleeding. He's having a bad time. He 
skewers holiday. Yeah. With his giant razor. No, with his horn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. He skewers someone else with a razor. That's, that's, <laughs> that's illegal. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's been ornamental the entire fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> and this time, so it actually gets skewered by the horn. This dude is, uh, you fuck with the bulls. This is the scene I was talking about when yeah. you were talking about. You talked about this off air, so explain. The number of impossible to kill people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had skewered through the knee, which also also leads to his escape, for the record. This this is one of those moments that this is a fascinating thing. Holiday says, don't pull out your razor ever. She does in that moment to skewer him through the knee. He then uses that razor to escape. The only reason that she does it is because he's going to kill Holiday. It seems very clear that she is going to die, and that's why he, she skewers him. And with, with Mjolnir 6... I don't think she would have done it. I think she would have she would have hung on and not and Holiday would be dead. Yep. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So would Apollonius though. Right. He'd be captured again for the second time. We'd throw him in deep. Wait, no, we can't because we don't have Earth anymore. Him for Cavax. That's the entire <laughs> fucking point of this. Yeah. Right. Right. They they abandon that thought. They mm-hmm. never think about that again. Mm-hmm. Right. But the entire point of this mission was to try to capture Apollonius to yeah. trade for cat leveraging. He also wouldn't do if her like empathy was blunted. Yeah. She would just kill the bastard. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. And fucking guy. And we've talked a little bit last week and off air this week of mm-hmm. Sykes. Yeah. I don't remember. Sykes and Psyche. So this is a Psyche that we're talking about. I thought it was the other way around. Is it a Sykes? Like your psyche? Yes. Yep. Yep. But a psyche. Psyche. Oh, this. Yes. 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 Yep. Case P. Yep. I could believe he's augmented in some way. Mm -hmm. Similarly. Oh, we also. We know that he has experience with the mind's eye. Not necessarily that he's mastered it. Right. We haven't seen it fail until this section. We haven't talked about that. Of the mind's eye? Yeah. Mentioned it, but we didn't like dig into it. Yeah. There was a lot of other stuff going on. I think that points out that points to it being a meditative practice more than anything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh it also shows that it's not flawless. Throws off some of my recent thoughts about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it also shows that it's not like an all powerful mystical sort of thing. It is truly a technique more than anything else. Yeah. yeah it, it is teachable, learnable, mm-hmm. flawed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Apollonius, the bastard, tied to the ground, giant explosive dome if it touches the ground, I assume because of some kinetic energy outburst or some, I don't know, the half dome thing that might explode if it touches the ground was one of the more, Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't understand why it would explode. I was down with the, it would explode, but. It's something that I made a note of in the moment Yeah, to like read it slower in mm-hmm. in person and i never got it yeah yeah i think it's because of the energy output and how it react if it touched something else so i don't know mm-hmm. yeah maybe it's like here's here's an imagination like not it's like grounding yourself or not grounding yourself with electricity right in the same kind of way where you're like making the connection to the ground and so if you make the connection to the ground it goes boom yeah 
It could be. Yeah. Hmm. Completing the circuit. I yeah. don't remember the specifics. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, big, big dome, big old bull, bull escapes. Sad pandas. Yeah. Yeah. Escapes with the help of a fucking grenade. <laughs> yeah. And then throws a grenade back in and knocks them all back, fucking them up. But one against that many folks and he still kills as many as he does. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That man is the slip monster. Man, cow, madman. The fact that he fucking moves when he's in pain like that was just such an extra layer of like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. You are a you're a caricature of my favorite type. <laughs> he is. He is somebody that will be truly impossible to cast in a way that's like accurate. I don't know. The only the only conceivable person that even comes to mind for me with Apollonius is Idris Elba. The only one who could pull off. He is too old. He's totally too old and he would be too old by the time the series got there. But you need the same sort of swagger and ability to deliver eloquent, like Denzel Washington two decades ago, three decades ago, absolutely could have done it. Wrong build, but could have delivered the lines convincingly. That's half the problem. Apple is so fucking Shakespearean yeah. that he is nigh impossible to cast. It's you, you have to have somebody with the build of like, an NFL running back. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Like maybe if you got into, into the realm of like classically trained dancers mm. that also had a background in theater, mm-hmm. like looking into that market could work. Potentially somebody that hasn't been in yeah. before. Right. But cause it, it's gotta be somebody graceful. It's gotta be somebody yeah. to all shit. Yeah. And able to deliver <laughs> yeah. Shakespearean monologues flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Like figure skating or dancing. Yeah, that's a good point. Figure skating would do it too. Right now, I'm just, you know, Will Ferrell. You know, Blades of Glory, Will Ferrell. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly what we need. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> it was it was a bit when i brought it, it up. was it was a bit it was a bit but this grenade rolls under knocks them out from underneath and they're toast yeah i mean they're not dead but you know knocks them down a peg all right so we move on to chapter 27 a good death now this is a little bit of a longer chapter but i feel like it can be summed up pretty easily in kind of two big components for the most part so yeah just on the name yep I was prepared. Yeah. I was ready for Virginia to die. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a little bit unfairly Mm. because of external conversations about Lysander, Mm -hmm. specifically, like specifically about the t-shirt conversation Mm -hmm. and people being up in arms about the Lysander did nothing wrong t-shirts, not quite understanding, understanding and Mm -hmm. everybody being like, well, you haven't read Lightbringer yet, so you'll get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, that probably means he personally kills a character mm-hmm. <laughs> or commits like genocide. A genocide. Yeah. One of the two was where my brain was at. 
So in a fight against Lysander directly and a title of a good death from Virginia's perspective, like Lysander kills Virginia right in this chapter. That would be brutal. Brosland is going to be staring at me while we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was so for me when I when I hit this chapter for the first time, I went a good death. Fuck. And I went, it's got to be Cavax. It's got to be Cavax. This is it. Because there's all this setup. And yet we don't see anything from him anyway. So it's a great title for yeah. this. Yeah. For this to keep you just like your head spinning in the moment. And then you, you get to understand it's like, okay, Cavex is still definitely on the chopping block by the end of this week, but yeah, he's potentially doing well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's captured for sure. Mm-hmm. But I was confident when I hit this chapter. I was like, this is it. This is Cavex's end. Peter's going to be so mad. So sad. Yeah. We're still not out of the woods yet, but yeah. Yeah. But Virginia dashes off and realizes that there is one thing that can be done here. Perhaps they can release a traitor to save them. Perhaps a traitor that we've spent a lot of time talking about over the last couple of episodes or the last episode, really. But Virginia takes off cloaked towards the prison there. She overhears Cicero make some funny comments about the big door and the guy coming back and like, no, it's technically it's a brig. It's not a door. It's a brig. And he's like, shut up. It's a door. (laughs) It's a perfect joke. But before they continue like on without looking for Virginia to claim for Loon, you know, to make good on the situation that we learn later, he shouldn't have been doing in the first place. But she busts through that door, frees Valdir and 63 obsidian of the all tribe getting ready to let them loose to help them escape. Did I get this guess right? That Valdir was going to be used? That Valdir was the uh, informant? No, you didn't bet that Valdir was the informant. Who did I bet was the informant? Abominadrius. Yeah. Yeah. I'll drink for that. Although you, your beer, you did think, <laughs> Jesus, did you finish? Did you not grab another one? I didn't grab another. Oh, I think you were grabbing one. All right. You bet that Abominadrius was. Yeah. We don't know that Valdir was the informant. Yeah, we do. What? It's pretty much confirmed in this section. Where? It's not confirmed at all. I don't know why you drank. I thought, I thought she talked, I guess maybe not directly, but it seemed like, Valdir was no he gave information but not the information about the society he doesn't have any in it there okay it's the all tribe hmm. no nah, man that's still on the table okay well I'll, I'll take a drink <laughs> to even it out <laughs> cheers I have to I was thirsty anyway <laughs> in this moment I was very very sure I was waiting for it I was waiting to to hear the insight on the historical significance behind the big door conversation from sister <laughs> <laughs> but no there's nothing. no there's nothing it's just a big fucking door <laughs> it's just a big fucking it's it's a perfect joke it's it, yeah it's it's so it, to me it's so funny especially to be seen from a third POV like a separate POV but the deadpan of yeah. that conversation ending them walking away and Virginia saying, I go and open the brig door or the brig <laughs> gate yeah. with yeah. my so- sovereign implant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That the little guy was right. And that the overconfident gold was <laughs> a piece of shit. <laughs> it, it's just, it's to me, it's one of the funniest bits in the first part of this entire book. It's just so silly. <laughs> it's perfect. 
in the middle of like all of this crazy intense shit that we're we're dealing with and we get this yeah it's a big fucking door (laughs) no it's a brick gate no it's not it's a door (laughs) too good Mm -hmm. Um, after he's freed she explains the deal that they can earn themselves a good death by serving their sovereign once again in this moment he asks for armor for all of them, but he but she gives them ghost cloaks and explains that the temperature has been rising. We've already had a brief explainer in this because of Apollonius's ambush that they evaded and the ghost cloaks using like to stealth and hide themselves in the temperature and whatnot. But they quickly rally and get everyone together before the group of them are loaded into fetid tubes, all of the lion guard that remain and are shoved down garbage chutes like something out of Shawshank Redemption. I mean, it's not garbage shoots, they're shit shoots for all intents and purposes while the obsidians are let loose in the moment. Yeah. This was a pretty tense situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Virginia and the obsidian and Valdir. Yeah. I liked the progression of it. Mm-hmm. I liked the the analysis and the technological sort of understanding Yeah, with the glo- ghost cloaks and the like they're not that effective with thermal readings, but it's so hot that thermal readings are not effective anyway because it's body temperature outside right now. So like, that was really, really cool. I am very excited now if everything, if Valdir gets out mm-hmm. and things stay at least relatively uh, intact Republic-wide for a little while. Not not entirely, but at least mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm excited to see Valdir and Pax interact. Yeah, potentially. Or at least Pax and Virginia talk about Valdir again. again. Yeah, and kind of correct that mistake on, you know, her opinion mm-hmm. to some degree and like what what he's fighting for. It is definitely interesting as well when Daryl gets brought up. That's really, really the selling point is that he's still alive out there and, you know, could use him. And that's like the... Yeah, no, he definitely wants to fuck you, dude. <laughs> Which is the other funniest joke in the in the book so far from Sephiro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely wants to fuck you. Um, and there's also a couple of like funny moments that happen here with the Obsidian as they talk about different things. They they make a couple of jokes here and there, but ultimately getting shoved down the shit tubes in the moment in which. Baldur <laughs> just puts her hand on his head and shoves her down, <laughs> and she's issuing commands is a great little. <laughs> little moment it was pretty funny yeah all right so we move on from 27 to chapter 28 lysander war engineer we get a quick update from lysander and lysander and horatia's side of the war it seems as though things are going well for them of course wounds have been taken but they're fighting through the remaining sectors where we know our troops to be holed up for this long fight diomedes has also joined the fray and all seems well for our would-be emperor yeah, I don't like any of this. <laughs> He's not good. You know, it's like you're you're cheering for him in all those speeches and all these different moments, and it's like, oh, it becomes the real war, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't like that. Actually, can you not, Lysander? Come on, dude. I want you to live in a little bubble adjacent to this side of yeah. Mars and yeah. the Republic. Why couldn't you have just stayed on Venus with your games, Lysander? You can have pl- Mercury. Yeah, you can. <laughs> we'll give you Pluto. You can have it all yourself. Yeah. No people. We'll give you 50 people. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just to talk with. Yeah. No ships. 
make whatever ships you can out of the metal that you there. <laughs> yeah. You might find some in a little bit when it arrives from the rail guns that you launched at Mars. <laughs> Better scoop that up real quick. Yeah. It's going to take 140 years to get to you, but you live a long time. Jen's loon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. But yeah, it is it is kind of a fun update to get all these different moments from them and to kind of understand the way that the war has gone on the whole that they haven't routed the fleet above, but they've actually kind of retreated in some ways. But they're clearly, it seems, taking Phobos without much fanfare. Right. Yeah. But Ajax receives compliment from a variety of Loon Praetorians, including Greys of, of Roan and, and the like, of which I think are wonderful. There's this Medicus that keeps walking up and walking away to like try to treat Lysander and other folks as wounds. But he should know that the armor self-heals. And takes care of those kinds of things. And so they aren't in need of a medicus in the moment. And it turns out that the yellow was a suicide bomber as he's randomly shot in the head by Kyber effectively. And she says, did an instinct <laughs> after yeah. blowing his brains out. That gives figment vibes. It kind of does. Totally. Mm-hmm. Along with the camouflage of blending in as different colors and. Yeah. Figment's a collection of colored contacts mm-hmm. that Lyria inherited or became owner of. Is it inheritance if you are that person now? <laughs> if you contain that squid. Yeah. If you adopted the squid brain thing. Become the person that owns those things. Did you inherit it or did you just. Did it inherit you? <laughs> I think you inherited it. Okay. Yeah. 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 But yeah. How'd you feel about the Ajax compliments and comments? Like he's compared favorably to Aja here. Yeah. A couple of times. As better than even. Bet- better than Aja. Yeah. Is a comment. Yeah. Like that That really. I, I held him in high regard as far as his prowess goes. Mm-hmm. Um, this this shifts that mm-hmm. terrifyingly more aggressive direction. Yeah. I mean, even I think it was last week we get like a brief exchange between Lysander and Ajax where they're talking about, you know, the wound that Lysander healed off of himself. Right. And he's like, yeah, I, I would heal my own face. Like I healed Darrow took my nose off. I took his fingers off. And I think that's really subtle <laughs> as far as like, Ajax taking Darrow's fingers off like clearly that had to be very close to like a real tangible loss for Darrow right yeah I hadn't picked up on it yeah like I I registered it yeah but I didn't I didn't put the importance on it that I should have right in that moment yeah but we spent some 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 time with Aja Mm-hmm. Saw what she was capable of. Yeah. And what made her a terrifying force of nature not to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. And for the people very, very close to both of them to say that Ajax is better. Yeah. And to know that like Darrow now could probably beat Aja because he's contending with Ajax and clearly coming out alive at the very least, you know, is something in and of itself, which means that there's some sort of. He's exceeded in some way, shape, or form. 
It would have been fun to see Apollonius break Asia or Aja. Yeah. After understanding how to break the willow way. Yeah, fair. That would be that'd be neat for sure. Because he probably would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. He would have done it for fun. Yeah. Yeah. He would just man. Apple. Fucking Apple, man. But Victra has arrived to complicate matters, and Cicero is out of position looking to claim glory for capturing Virginia. He wasn't supposed to be down um, with Apollonius in the moment, and Apollonius gets this call and realizes that he's not likely to survive that engagement with the Julii as he's about to get flushed out from the other side of the moon and turns around. Cicero scoffs, but is told by Lysander to follow, and I think as such he does, we assume, in this moment. He does. We, we know. Yeah. From conversations later on. Yeah. In Virginia's perspective. Right. Um, yeah. Bastards run from the superior force. Yeah. Turn tail. Yeah. You. And it's, it's just Victra. Like, what are you really afraid of? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there, but Ajax agrees to take initiative and takes off after Victra. We, we did already talk about the fact that Roan comments, and commented earlier in all the other greys that Ajax is better than Aja, but he does take off to go after Victra with 50 gold knights. Yeah, that's not going to be good. Don't do that. For whomst? Victra. I feel uh, she's good. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put her up against Aja. Yeah. Especially not like hand to hand. Mm -hmm. She's, she belongs in the little com box. Star, her, uh, on Starcraft <laughs> she belongs as the commander we do know that she's a fierce warrior from from what she did in Dark Age yeah yeah true yeah but so is fucking everybody that we deal with yeah not not, not absolutely everybody but like the scale at which we're operating oh yeah everyone's a 10 out of 10 and yeah. Ajax is Seemingly an 11. Yeah. Yeah. Darrow's an 11. Yeah. Aja was an 11. Apple's a 12. Yeah. <laughs> Ajax, I guess, is a 13 then? Maybe. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. If if Roan's to be believed. Mm-hmm. Lysander's like a 5 or 6, I guess. Yeah, probably. Like, he's a cheater. He only went through cheating. He's got a, he got a second razor. He's a joker. In yeah. This, in this yeah. Case. He's like, wait, wait, wait. That's not supposed to be in the deck, dude. Reshuffle. <laughs> he's like, yeah, okay, I'll reshuffle. He puts him right back in. Puts the rule card in. <laughs> right into the deck. The filler card. <laughs> this just says bicycle. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a real card, Lysander. <laughs> on, on the other side, it says I am four. It's one of the blank cards. <laughs> it just writes I am four. <laughs> all right anything else on the lysander perspective chapter no i don't think so cool all right well then we've got our last chapter of the week which is just a really quick one um it's chapter 29 it's pity them of course in reference to uh the quote that we pretty much started this week with uh from victra and she's ready to go raring to go and this is in kind of a lot of ways a, a restful chapter this group of obsidian greys are fully prepared and have fought them fought themselves to some semblance of freedom no longer on the run baldir points out that they will continue to smile because they're awarded they've been awarded a good death of the many obsidians that went down there's only 11 that remain plus valdir so 11 including valdir oh 11 including okay so slightly less than a dozen one less than a dozen 
Yeah, not slightly. Baker. Yeah, it's an anti Baker. It's a really greedy Baker. <laughs> a selfish Baker's dozen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not not many left, but ultimately the good death is part of the reason that they don't cow in this moment. We get some funny obsidian kind of dialogue here as they kind of issue one word utterances that are kind of I don't know, witty in obsidian ways, which is fun instead of this scene. But they're also effectively free now. Yeah. Because yeah. they they completed their task. They survived. Yep. They, they, their options was good death or freedom. Yep. And a lot of them took the former. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. I don't think that they actively chose that necessarily, but. Well, I mean. <laughs> Their actions. Right, 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 right. It was either, yeah, or rot in the cell. I'm not trying to diminish the sacrifices that the obsidian. Oh, no, I don't think you are, but yeah. I'm just trying to be. Trying to not make it a binary. Yeah. yeah. But in the end, Screwface appears with Medici to help. Victor is on the way, of course. Valdir and Screwface exchange some words, but ultimately Victor is... Yeah, Sky Bastard. But ultimately, Victor is thankful to those that remain here with her, knowing that... Or, sorry, Virginia is thankful that all these people have survived with her as they have saved tens of thousands of lives that otherwise would have been lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really puts a lot into perspective. Yeah. So, is this the chapter where... Virginia also goes through that memory of her meal with Darrow going through what the obsidian are capable of and exactly what they go through and commit in this section. Or was that the previous? I one? think it was the previous one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, since we didn't, it was worth noting. Yeah. I think yeah. it was a chilling, haunting the descriptions of the psychological warfare that the, that the obsidian specifically like everybody else does as well but they're aping the obsidians we're using the term aping a lot i think because they use it a lot in this section yeah but the the chanting and the the quiet versus the loud and mm -hmm. to be loud yeah and when to be terrifying it's it's a it's a lot it's fucked up it it, <laughs> it it paints it paints a very specific picture of what that culture is as far as warriors go and how dangerous that is to mess with and why they're as terrifying as they are do you think this is tactic employed by the obsidian before darrow or do you think this is something devised by darrow and severo oh i think that this is a republic era obsidian tactic okay it feels like it's bringing back something from before the obsidian rebellion happened and kind of like feeding into what that culture was capable of at the time mm -hmm. to me the dark vault yeah mm. yeah i it's another section rife with imagery that can just be plopped into adaptation with almost no change yeah yeah brutal i i imagine a very nice <laughs> dinner at a grand dining table between Darrow and Virginia steak, just something, something primal and them bacon and eggs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Call back. Yeah. 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 But she says dinner specifically, but yeah. still, it could be bacon and eggs. They ate bacon and eggs for dinner on the morning star. Yeah, you're right. It was dinner. Wasn't it? It doesn't matter. Um, but just them 
him talking through what they do and then flashes back and forth between description of that and what's going on actively presently would be a really visual i think it would be great i think it would work out excellently especially in like adding color to the dark revolt and stuff like that of which i think is one of those elements of this story that you could totally hook someone on in a tv show and like not explain all of it and be like well what's the dark revolt and then kind of get into the details over time and give a character like darrow the the moment to explain and then talk about the war tactics and talk about this and yeah yeah also brings into perspective Askamani. yeah and what makes them so terrifying is the fact that they scare just kidding they do mm-hmm. if they scare these motherfuckers mm-hmm. what do they what do they do yeah right i mean we know a little bit mm-hmm. we've seen them a couple of times but mm-hmm. terrifying creatures for sure all right well with that anything else any other thoughts for this week i don't think so it's a fun it's a very fun, fun fun quick i mean we covered this one relatively fast comparatively. I'm not sure what the our end time here is, of Last course. Last week we recorded for four hours. Yeah, I mean, we're at 2.30 right now. So we were going quick. We're still sub three, but with way more chapters in theory, quote, you know. Yeah. So, but is there, yeah, nothing else that you want to bring up. So at that point next week, we are going to be rounding out part two by reading chapters 30 through 36 30 so 30 through 36 okay what we're gonna be reading sounds so, yeah so that's where we'll leave you for this week thank you as always to tim and andrew for helping us keep the show alive and audible yeah very true check out the link in the show notes where you can find the schedule patreon previous episodes Websites, social media accounts, probably some other stuff. Definitely other stuff. All in one very nice, easy, convenient location. Yeah. With that, if you're looking for us specifically on social media, Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com, as well if you want to reach out to us directly via email, Words Whiskey Pod on most socials. So you can find us there. Yeah. Yeah. We're there. We there. Beyond that, make sure you leave us a five star review. If you don't leave us a five star review, We'll gore you with the Minotaur helmet. Either we'll gore you with the Minotaur helmet or we'll give you a good death. You don't deserve a good death. You don't deserve a good death. (laughs) (laughs) If you give us a five-star review, we'll give you a good death. Okay, good night. (laughs) Good night. (laughs)